0: Hi there, you're listening to the Trinity Community Church podcast, TCC, a home for you. All right, good morning everybody, welcome to Trinity Community Church, welcome to everybody watching online, it's good to see so many smiling faces, did you miss me? Been gone the last couple weeks, hello, Somebody like we didn't know this pastor, kind of hurts my heart. Um, I want to encourage you, I want to remind you before we get rolling. The kingdom is an interesting concept. It's an interesting thing. You know, Jesus said the kingdom's inside of us, but the kingdom isn't designed to stay there. The kingdom is always designed to expand, to grow. Jesus came to establish a beachhead for his kingdom here on the planet, and then when he left, he gave us the keys to the family business. You know, Matthew 28, he says, Go into all the world and make disciples. What does he mean? Go and expand the kingdom. We live in a broken part of the world where we see hints of the reality of what God's heart is for us. I want to encourage you. Don't keep the kingdom to yourself. Kabish? Don't keep it to yourself. Spread it. Love God and people extravagantly. Step out. Share your faith. Don't be content to just not being dirty and getting into heaven yourself. Did you hear me, beloved? The goal is not to be squeaky clean and get into heaven yourself. The goal is to live this world, suck this air, and bring as many people as possible to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That's your assignment. Not to hide. Don't hide. Like, Pastor, this is kind of weird. This is why we do what we do as a church, beloved. We don't hide. We share the gospel with every living, breathing person. And we can do it. I believe you. I believe in you. All right? All right? Um, amen. <laughs> um, I'm excited to, uh, to be back with you guys today. And I'm just going to apologize ahead of time. I'm trying my very best. When you're out of the saddle for a few weeks, you just want to dump all kind of stuff. And I'm a, I'm a percolator. That means the longer that I have scriptures and things ruminating in my heart, the more God percolates. And I have to sift through the percolation to figure out what I'm supposed to share, what I'm not supposed to share. So I'm going to try to sift through all this stuff so you're not here for 12 hours. Because let's just be real, the Steelers play at 1 o'clock. We all have places to go, right? So, uh, for some, those of you who didn't know, uh, one of the reasons I was gone about two months ago, my brother called me. And we're pretty close. He goes, TJ. He says, "I got a crazy opportunity." I said, "What's that?" He says, "I he goes, if I can get tickets to the Raiders Steelers game in Vegas, will you go?" And I said, "Well, I can't pay for him." He goes, "No, they would be free ninety nine. Can you go? I said, "Let me pray about that." Yes. So you got these tickets in Vegas, and that's the first time I've ever been to Vegas. Probably the last time I'll ever be to Vegas as well. And we get there; these tickets are eighteen hundred dollars a piece. Now, for me, they're free, but they're eighteen hundred dollars. So we go, and it's it's crazy. Now, how many of you are you have a, a, like a team that you're you're a fan of? Whether what? I got to tell you this, we're there, I heard the lamest, so this is the Raider chant. I don't know, I've never heard this before. This is what they do, they go, Raiders, Raiders. What kind of chant is that? It's like, we stink, we stink. <laughs> Steelers aren't that good either. So I don't know if you, if you have a, fan, you know, a team that you follow, that's great. And I don't know if you've ever, ever had the opportunity to go and see your team in another city. How many of you know that can be a little hairy sometimes, right? I don't know if you know this or not, not all cities are as loving as Philadelphia, <laughs> the city of brotherly love, right? Especially when you have, like, you know, the cowboys and those come in. Let me just hug you and stab you, right? That's what it is. So me and my brother, you know, he's a pretty big guy, you know, like, like me, and we decided we we're going to go out there. And we knew the Steeler fans, they travel pretty well, so it wasn't super deadly or dangerous. But we went out there, and we had all of our Steeler colors on, and yeah, we're out there just kind of doing our thing. And, and, and I don't really carry a lot of fear. I don't live with a lot of fear. But I, we did have a few moments that, that made me a little nervous. Uh, we're there at the state or at, at the hotel, and we're getting into, the, into our elevator, and it's me and Tim, and we're in all of our Steeler gear. And I, I don't know if you've ever encountered Raiders fans. They're nuts. They dress weird. They, their stadium is called the Black Hole. That should tell you all you need to know about the place, right? So we're in the elevator, and I'm standing there, and I hear this voice from the outside going, please hold the elevator. So I hold the elevator, and in walks a dude, that's my size, with shoulder pads on, spikes coming out of the shoulder pads. I'm not making this up. Half his face was silver, and half of his, place, his face was black. And he was the most normal of the other four guys that got onto the elevator with us. So we're standing there, and me and my brother are in the back of the elevator, and these four guys get on, and they're big, and they're large, and they're in charge, and they're in Vegas, which means I don't know what they've been doing. I don't know what they've been consuming. But at that moment, my, my, my pride and my faith was starting to squelch just a little bit. Have you ever been there? And the dude looked at me with the spikes, and he goes, hey, you a Steeler fan? Now, I'm wearing a jersey that's black with a steel emblem, that's got the number 22 with Harris on the back, for Najee Harris. My brother's wearing a Kenny Pickett jersey. And I look at the guy, and I want to be smart. I want to say, no, nah, we're just hanging out here. I don't know, I just a lucky guess. And I looked at this dude and his, his three other amigos, and I thought, mm, I'm going to be safe. I said, yes, sir, we are. Because we were on the first floor, and we were on, on floor 29. How many you know a lot of ruckus can happen in 29 floors? Right? So we got off the thing, and everybody's fine. But again, it, it ended up being moot because, you know, there was like 70% Steeler fans there. But I can tell you this. There were times that I was a little nervous. Have you ever found yourself in a place where maybe you were a little uneasy? Let's just be real. All of us, from time to time, are afraid. All of us have buttons, those things that that can be pushed that are like your fear buttons that kind of make something rise up within you. All of us have them. If there's a person here who says, well, I don't have any fear at all, you're a liar. We all have those little things. Now, some fears are common to everybody. For example, how many of you are afraid of heights? You know, your Christmas lights, you're going to get, I'm getting up there, right? I'm not afraid of heights. I'm afraid of the law of gravity as it sucks my Greek carcass to the earth. In a thud, right? So I'm not not afraid of heights, but I don't like the the, the sudden fall. You know what they say? Does anybody know what the greatest fear people have is? Public speaking. What I'm doing now is the greatest fear. Even more than death, people are afraid to to speak publicly. So, you know, in school when they made you do your little book reports in front of everybody, that was terrifying. You did it, give yourself a high five. You, You did great. Here's another fear, too. You know, a lot of people don't like crowds. How many of you don't like large crowds? I used to love that when I was younger. Now not so much. You know, my couch is pretty comfortable. I like having access to a bathroom and a refrigerator. Hello? Can I get a witness? HD TV, I'm going to be watching the Steelers game today, and the bathroom's right there and the refrigerator's right here. Life's good. Right? That's all I need. Um, We have weird fears. Even the fear of, of, of death. What makes death so weird for us? You know what it is? It's really the fear of the unknown. We have hints, we have wisps of what's on the other side, but the reality is this. It's a walk that all of us make, but you just haven't been there yet. I mean, for all of us, unknown is fear, worry. Some of you are worriers, and you worry about things that never happen. Do you know that 90% of the things that you worry about never come to pass? Do the math, 90%. Some of the times we get stuck in that little that little wheel and we run around and around and around and around and around, and then when we do that, fear takes over. The weirdest little things. You know, we have common things, but then there's, there are some fears that are just off the chain, that are unique, that just don't make sense to me, but people are afraid of them. For example, this is a real fear. Globophobia. You know what that is? The fear of balloons. Think about this. How do you know if you have a fear of balloons? You go to the birthday party, pff, here you go, ah! It's just a balloon, right? People are afraid of balloons. Here's another one, and I kind of like to experience this Plutophobia. You know what that is? The fear of money. How do you determine if somebody's afraid of money? Do you sit like at a couch and they just throw dollar bills at you? Go, no, I'm still not afraid, keep them coming. Let's go to the 20s and see what happens, right? And you just stick them in your pockets, right? Here's another fear. This is something that's real for some of you guys right now. Nomophobia. You know what it is? The fear of being without your cell phone. How many of you are old enough to remember before we had cell phones? We didn't have them and nobody died. Well, somebody probably did die, but nobody that I know. Now, I mean, "Ah, where's my phone, you know? Have you ever used your phone to look for your phone? Use the flashlight on your phone? I know it's here somewhere, right? Idiot, you're using your phone to look for your phone, right? Or how about this? This is a real fear. Arithmophobia, you know what this is? The fear of numbers and math. When you're 12 years old, I just can't take math class. Maybe you were really afraid. Maybe you just weren't lazy, right? Or how about this? Xanathobia, the fear of the color yellow. How many of you are wearing yellow today? Put your hand if you're wearing yellow. You are terrifying somebody in this room right now. <laughs> just go hug them. Ah! Right? Here's another one. I don't understand this. It's real. I don't understand it. I'm going to butcher it. Arachnobutyrophobia. You know what it is? The fear of getting peanut butter stuck to the roof of your mouth. Oh, no, it to happened! <laughs> right? I mean, I love peanut butter. I'm not afraid of that. Just, just lick it off, right? How about this? This is another one. This, this really affects usually boys from the age of 8 to 12. Ablutophobia, the fear of bathing. <laughs> Especially when they're at camp, right? <laughs> no, I'm not going in there, right? Then here's the last one. I'm going to try my very best. Here we go. Hippopotomonstrosesquippedaliophobia. You know what that is? The fear of long words. It's true. It's totally true. Real fears. Here's my point. Fear is something that's real and it's something that's powerful. Whether it's irrational or common, we know this about fear. It is totally unique. It's a part of us as humanity. In fact, it's such a big deal in humanity, God chose to speak directly to fear in our lives. He had this thing to say about fear in Isaiah 41.10. He said, fear not, for I am with you. What is the greatest antidote that you and I can have The fear? God. He says, fear not, for I am with you. Don't be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, and I'll help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Fear is a big deal, but how many of you know this? God is a bigger deal. He can take care of all of your fears if you let him. So over the next month, we're going to be looking at things as believers that we fear the most, and we'll be looking at how you and I can have victory over these fear areas in our lives. Today, we're going to start with a unique fear. Um, This is a fear that cripples a lot of people. Now, what's crazy about this is this is a fear that affects pretty much everybody. But for the most part, most people live with this fear, but they don't even know that it's operating in their lives. It's that sly and it's that divisive. It's the fear of intimacy, specifically, the fear of intimacy with God. How many of you know that God created you not just to be intimate? with another person, but he created you for intimacy with himself. He didn't just create you just for Adam to have an Eve or Eve to have an Adam just so we could be intimate with with each other, humanity, but he created us to be intimate with him. So here's the question. How on earth, I mean, what does it even look like for us as humans to have an intimate relationship with the God of the universe? If you have your Bibles, turn to Isaiah chapter 6. Um, If you have our app, you click on our app and on the services, you get all my notes. If you have the U version of the Bible, look for live events, look for Trinity, you get all my notes. If you're online, welcome everybody online that's viewing with us today. It's always important to read what I'm talking about in your Bible, in your notes, in your own app. Know what you believe with your own eyeballs. This is an incredible passage. Isaiah 6, verse 1. So let me set it up. Isaiah is a prophet of God. And you're seeing the birth part of Isaiah and his connection with God. And, and, and because of Isaiah's standing with, with God and what he's how yielded he is to God, God gives him the privilege of giving him a vision of what he really looks like, who he really is. And it's incredible, and it just rocks him. Isaiah 6 says this: It was in the year King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord. He was sitting on a lofty throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Attending him were mighty seraphim, each having six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces, with two wings, they covered their feet, and with two wings, they flew. They were calling out to each other Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. It's a pretty powerful picture. God is seated on the throne. And then you have these angels that are serving him, and they sang the song that we sang together today. Holy, holy, holy. That word holy means set apart, set apart. There's none like you. There's none like you. There's none like you. How many of you know it's one thing to think that you're all that in a bag of chips? It's another thing to have other people look at you and say, there is nothing like you. Now, some of you have had that said to you in a bad way. When they made you, they broke the mold. Thank the Lord. This is the opposite. The angels are are, 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 are singing his praise. As Lovis says, and the old the whole earth is filled with his glory. Look at verse 4. Their voices shook the temple to its foundations, and the entire building was filled with smoke. Know this, beloved. We serve a God that is awesome and way beyond us. Sometimes what we do, especially in our worship, is we we are satisfied with lesser versions of who he is. Why? Because we're afraid. We're afraid. We don't know what to do with that. So we water him down so he's tolerable to us. And this thing, one of the most beautiful things in this with Isaiah is is he just lets Isaiah see him as he is, which is just ridiculous and amazing. So all this is happening, and look at verse 5. Isaiah has this response. He says, then I said, it's all over. I'm doomed. For I'm a sinful man, and I have filthy lips, and I live among a people with filthy lips. Yet I have seen the King, the Lord of heaven's armies. So what do we get from this? What can we gather from this when it comes for us understanding what intimacy with God looks like? The first is this. Intimacy begins with reality. You have to understand and have reality with somebody or something in order to be intimate with it. You can't experience intimacy with somebody until you really know the person. Have you ever uh, had a chance to to meet somebody and at first you thought they were really cool and then the more you got to know them, you realized they weren't really cool at all? I had an opportunity uh, years ago now, I won't mention who it is, I got to meet uh, a guy that I just used to, man, I used to love to listen to his music, I used to love to sing his music, he had a voice like mine, had a deep rasp, I thought this is going to be great. So I saw him in this intimate concert setting, I had my little CD I was going to have him sign it because that's just what you do when you meet people like that, right? How many of you have signed articles of clothing and things that are worthless? You know, someday when you die, your kids are going to take it to the the Goodwill and somebody will pull it out of the bargain bin for for a quarter, right? So I'm there standing up there and about three rows behind this, or three people behind this guy, and I watch in front of me as this guy is mean, nasty, and he belittles this older woman that's right there and he treats her like garbage. So I'm holding my CD, and I get up to him, and I'm thinking to myself, this guy just wrecked all of my childhood of what I thought of this guy. And I still had him sign the CD, and he was pleasant with me, and he just kind of shuffed me off. And I went to the one guy who took me to the concert and said, thank you, thank you, Bill, for ruining my childhood. They tell you not to meet your heroes sometimes because they'll disappoint you, right? What is that? Well, from afar, he was fine to me. But once I got to know him in that moment, it changed how I viewed him. Reality. Reality is the door for intimacy. We experience this on all kinds of levels in our life. For example, how many of you remember the process of marriage? Now, I came from a house of all boys. My mom was there, but she doesn't count. She was my mom. So it was me and my brother. On the Greek side, we had all men except for one female cousin. So all I knew were boys. Well, you know, I followed the path that a lot of people do. I fell in love with a girl was great, and, and, and we had a beautiful relationship, and we got married, and, and I thought I knew her. But how many of you know you don't know somebody until you live with them? So I remember we moved down from Pittsburgh. I went to Southeastern. We had marital housing, and we had a small two-bedroom apartment, and our bathroom was the size of, like a, was the size of a phone booth. And what I was not prepared for, what I didn't understand when it came to a relationship with, with a female Intimately living with them was how many of you know that women come with a lot of product? Right? They do. I don't know how to say it. Like, for example, our bathroom, we had one little sink. And, you know, she had a lot of product. Men don't have product. We have a toothbrush. You know, if you're like Dan, you don't have hair, you don't have hair, you don't even need shampoo, right? (laughs) You you know, I, I had a toothbrush. We had toothpaste that we shared now, it was common, a little shaver. And we have, men don't have like conditioner, body wash, hair. We have like one in seven. You know, you could wash your car with it, wash the dishes with it, wash your and, And we still look great, right? We still look great, right? Women are like that. Robin had, she had products, she had cleansers, conditioners, exfoliators. I still don't know what that really means. All these things. And I noticed this. Over time, her product would creep into my space. And what was weird was this. I would every once in a while leave my socks in the ground. She said, you need to put those in their place. And I would go into the bathroom and I'd go. But I can't say that because I want to be happy. Right? But isn't that that real? You learn when when you live with somebody, you learn different things. Like you learn the routines. You learn what they like and what they don't like. And I would encourage you this. If you are married to somebody and you still don't know what they like or what they don't like, unless you figure that out, you are not going to be married happily for very long. you got to figure all that stuff out. What spurs all that? Reality. Reality births intimacy. You can't hide who you are for very long, can you? Especially when you live with somebody. This is why family is important. Family knows who you are and they still like you. Don't throw them away. Please don't throw them away, Right? doesn't mean everything's going to be perfect. So you learn what reality happens. You know them. Um, And then from that point on, you build an intimate relationship, which involves everything, the good, the bad, and the ugly. So this is what, you know, God wants with us. Here's the reality. Some people never have an intimate relationship with God because they don't really know him. They know about him, but they don't really know him. So how can you have an intimate relationship with somebody that you don't even know? I mean, even Psalm 46.10 says this. He tells us, he, he gives us a command. He says, be still and know that I am God. Some people ask me all the time, what is this, what is this tattoo here? This is Hebrew, and it's Hebrew for be still. It's from here, from Psalm 46. And, and I, something I just felt God wanted me to put on my body to remind me all the times, TJ, when you want to run at a million miles an hour, when you want to try to do everything in your own strength, be still. Be still and know. God knows us. What's the best way to know him? To be still. Be still and know him. That Hebrew word for know, and you've heard me teach it before, it just impacts me so much, is "yadah," which means to know somebody intimately. It's the same word for know that's described in Genesis 3 when it talks about how Adam knew Eve. He knew her intimately in every way. So here's the bottom line. You cannot have true intimacy with somebody without knowing them. This is why some people struggle in their faith. So here you have Isaiah, and God gives him a vision, a glimpse into what God is really like. And you know what happens? It wrecks him. And what's funny is this. I mean, I know you you think you're a great theologian and you're awesome and stuff like that. Isaiah wrote a book in the Bible And a vision of who God was still wrecked him. Isaiah was kind of like you and me to start, though. He had heard all the stories. He knew the Torah. He knew the Scriptures. He understood faith in a limited way. He had people that told him stories and told him things, and he had his own experiences. And all that's great and all that's good. But all that goes out the window when you come into contact with the reality of who God really is. See, here's the thing when it comes to God, and we got to be careful about this, Beloved. Sometimes we like to define God when really God defines himself to us. We create God in our own image instead of allowing God to define himself for us. Are you with me? This is why we have 30,000 denominations. This is why we've got all the different colors and and, and, and thoughts of who God is. We continue to, to weaken him to tolerable things for us. And God is beyond anything that we are as humans, even things that we could possibly understand. He defines himself. We don't define him. So do me a favor. Don't put God in a box. Let him out. He might surprise you with what he wants to do in and through your life. So God gives Isaiah this vision. He says, Isaiah, you've heard all the stories. you heard about the parting of the sea and all these things. Let me show you behind the curtain. What really is going on here in heaven? So he lets him into the courtroom of heaven, and he sees this thing, and he gives him this beautiful, this beautiful gift. You know what the gift was? Himself, his very presence. He's standing there in the presence of an Almighty God. How many of you know? Presence and authenticity are two pretty powerful gifts. They are. Not only do I get to spend time with you, but I get to really know you. So as we were, you know, going out, me and my brother, before we, we left for Vegas, uh, Robin. Me and Tori went out to Chicago to spend some time with my brother and my niece. Um, My my daughter, Tori, had not seen my niece for three years since since COVID. We saw her on on the phone, but COVID kicked up and it was crazy. And we talked to Olivia at least twice a week. We do FaceTime. We do stuff. We send her gifts and all that stuff. But there's something different about sharing space. And I remember, you know, Tori and those guys were a little nervous. What's she going to be like? Tori had never met her in person. So we get off, you know, get out of the plane, we get to the house, and she comes in, and she looks at us, and then she just, the first, she comes, she runs to Robin first, gives Robin a hug, and gives Tori a hug, and she's like, Tori, and Tori's like, yeah, because there's something about presents. And then for those, those three days, all we did was hang around. We wake up in the morning. She come running downstairs and, uh, come eat breakfast, come in, And she's on our laps. We even went to the zoo. We had this big zoo adventure. We're all over the place, and it was amazing. The thing that broke my heart, though, was this. You know, Tim and I flew out a day early to get to Vegas. So Tori, Robin, and uh, Melissa, my sister-in-law, are, are in the car, and they're going to the airport. And as they're driving to the airport, Olivia starts to cry. And Robin's like, what's wrong, sweetie? She goes, She goes, I'm going to wake up tomorrow morning and you're not going to be in my house. She goes, I want you to be in my house. I want to be with you. It's the power of presence. Intimacy comes with presence. So God gives Isaiah this this, this vision of who he is, his presence. And um, we start to observe something that's kind of unique. See, when you talk about Yadah, Yadah is not just a one-way thing. Intimacy just doesn't happen one way. Because here's the reality. If, if you think you're intimate with somebody and it's just one way, it's not really intimacy at all. Because intimacy is both ways. Right? Just because I know you doesn't mean that you know me. Um, so this weird thing happens. When you encounter God's presence, when you really encounter him, what happens is this. Yada, doesn't just affect our understanding of who he is. But it does something to us. It like shines a light onto our hearts. It shows everything. It shows, you know, really where, 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 where we lack and, and, and where we're in alignment with his heart. So Isaiah had this response to the revelation of who God was when he had an intimate encounter with God, the reality of who he was. This was the response that Isaiah had. This is verse 5. and This is nuts. He says this, It's all over. I'm doomed. I'm a sinful man. I have filthy lips. I live among a people with filthy lips. Yet I've seen the king, the Lord of heaven's armies. Now notice this. Who told Isaiah that he was a sinful man? Did an angel come down and say, whoa, sinful man? Did a preacher come by and go, whoa, sinful man? It's the reaction to God's presence. The Holy Spirit working, the three in one working. It captures Isaiah and there's a response. When you come into contact with a holy God in his presence, the power of the Spirit, there's always a reaction in our lives. Always. This is where sometimes as, as churches we got to remember this. The greatest thing that we carry to people. On on our words, it's God's presence. We enact God's presence with how we love people. We enact God's presence with, with how we interact with people. Remember when Jesus was on the road to Emmaus with the disciples and they didn't know who he was? And then finally he revealed himself to them and then he, he teleported out of there. What did they say? Oh, who's the master? Didn't our hearts burn within us again? When you hang around with your people that don't know Christ, People that do know Christ, everybody around you, they should want to be with you because of God's presence that resides in you. And when you're apart from them, they say, "Oh, when I'm with them, my heart burns within me." What you have should make whatever in them react. Do you hear me, beloved? Less words, more presence. Less words, more presence. Less words, more presence. I think for us as believers, they've heard enough of our words. Are you with me? Why do people struggle with our words? Because they don't match our actions. Why do people struggle with our words? They don't match the heart of God. Did you hear me? This is a big deal, beloved, a big deal. Share your faith. And what did St. Francis of Assisi say? If you have to, use words. Right? That was extra. That wasn't even on my notes. Some of you are like, Pastor, stop yelling at us. Understand this. Get this in your heart. So here's the question. When the Holy Spirit, when that reaction happens in your heart, two things take place in us that we have to kind of discern from. There's a fine line between condemnation and conviction. And there's times that we step over the line. There's times that we can't discern both of those things. What is condemnation? The Greek word for condemnation is katakrima, which actually is it articulates a negative judgment. It's a declaration of a negative judgment. It pronounces that you're wrong, evil, hopeless, and to be punished. Condem- you know, Condemnation comes with judgment and punishment. Have you ever heard the voice of condemnation in your head? By the way, who is the loudest voice of condemnation usually in your life? Me, right? You can hear the whispers of the enemy When when, when bad things happen, oh, you stink. You're terrible. If people knew who you really were, why do you even try this? There's not even any hope for you. There's no chance. Do you think it's coincidental that when Paul's talking about the armor of God, he talks about the helmet of salvation? What is the helmet guard? Your mind. The enemy loves to attack your mind. How does he attack your mind? What is salvation? Being in right relationship with God. You know, you were a sinner. Now you are saved by grace. You're a new creation in Christ now. So, what does the enemy always do? He always challenges you being the new creation and he beats on your mind. Put on the helmet of salvation. What does salvation tell you that you're in right standing with God? Let it go. Are you with me? So, sometimes we hear the voice of condemnation, sometimes we pass the voice of condemnation along. Don't do that. Don't be the judge and the jury for others. That's not what we're called to do. We inspect fruit, and we bring God's presence, the good news, to those that have never heard. And then the other thing that we experience is conviction. The word conviction in the Greek is alitio, which actually means this, to reveal something that's wrong. Conviction doesn't carry the aspects of judgment, but it's pointing a finger at the problem that you have without any compromise. It's saying this is the problem. So let's deal with it. While condemnation points at a person, conviction points at the the wrong action, the wrong mindset, the wrong belief. Condemnation brings finality, judgment, fear, and separation. Conviction brings change, awareness, hope. The voice of condemnation sounds like this. You stink, you're wrong, you're apart, you're not good enough. Conviction sounds like this. Son, daughter, don't do that. I have better things for you, but we have to deal with this. Do you hear the difference? The Holy Spirit convicts. He came to convict the world, to bring restoration and repentance. So Isaiah, when faced with the reality of who God is, Yada, he is faced not with just condemnation, but with conviction. Whoa! What does he say? I'm a man of unclean lips. What does that mean? Well, in order to understand that, you've got to understand how the Jewish people you know, understood how God built them. This is a phrase that gives us a glimpse into the heart of, of a young Jew. You see this, again, reinforced in Matthew 12, 34, when Jesus was talking to the Sadducees and the Pharisees, he said this. He said, you brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you're evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. When Isaiah said this, that he had unclean lips, what he was saying, God gave him a, a revelation of the condition of his heart. Woe to me. I have a heart issue. That's what conviction does. And then he takes it another step. This is God's revelation. Then he says, you know, not only do I, have, do I have a bad heart, he goes, but I'm a part of all kind of people that have unclean lips. What was he saying? He's saying this. All of us are in the same boat. doesn't matter who I am. You could be the Pope. You could be Mother Teresa. You could be Hitler. You could be Stalin. doesn't matter who you are. We're all in the same boat. It goes along with with Romans 3.23. For everyone he has sinned, and and they fall short of God's glorious standard. Isaiah made this understanding in God's presence. This isn't just an Isaiah issue. This is a humanity issue. In light of a holy God, we don't measure up. And then something interesting happens here. This is crazy. When you encounter a holy God, when you encounter God's presence, one of the benefits and one of the things that happens is this. God talks to you and he deals with you. That means this, all comparisons go right out the window. We live in a world of comparisons, don't we? We measure our spirituality sometime in comparisons. Now, I know nobody here does that, but I've heard other churches do this, right, where we say stuff like, well, you know what, I got some things I got to work on, but I'm not as bad as him. I don't know, you know, I, I got some things, but, you know, she's nuts. Well, thank God we don't do anything like that, Right? When you get close to God, all those comparisons go away. You don't, you don't care what people think of you. you don't care. All you care about is getting connected with God. You know, For example, I, I, I consider myself a golfer, but really the better definition of that would be I, I like to play golf. I don't know if I've achieved the level of actually being called a golfer. Um, I golf with a lot of you guys here. Now, one of the things that I try to always do when I golf is I try to make sure that at least one person in our golf pot party stinks. <laughs> Alex raises his hand. That would be me. Why do I do that? You know why I do that? To feel better about my weak self. <laughs> you don't want to be the person out there that's holding everything up where they're going, you know, if you keep trying hard, you'll do better next time. I don't want to be that guy. Where they're like, they're there. It'll be fine. Keep your head up. I'm like, ah! But here's the reality. When you play golf, any golfer knows this. You don't really compete against others. You compete against yourself. You have the scores that you had before, and you just want to have better scores. Now, I'm not going to lie. It does feel great to be better than others, but that's another thing. When you're in God's presence, it's not about measuring up against other people. The closer you get to God, the more comparisons go out the window. The closer you get to God, the more the fear of man dissipates the more aware of God's presence and his grace and his love, they become more part of of your environment. And it's weird. The closer you get to God, the less you fear of being intimate with God. Why? Have you ever thought about this? God knows everything about you, and he still wants to be with you. You can't hide anything from him. He knows everything about you, and still he came to die for you. He knows everything about you, and still he calls you son. Son. Still he calls you daughter. He still calls you beloved. You are his. He brought you into his family. That's the God that we serve. Now, intimacy is tough for us sometimes because let's just be real. All of us in this room at times have been betrayed, haven't we? All of us have had intimacy broken, haven't we? All of us have had commitments that have been broken and we're scarred. And know this, that's a perfect strategy and attack of the enemy. If the enemy can mar your earthly relationships with your parents, your father, your brothers, your sisters, the people that you thought were close to you, that's a direct reflection on how you connect with your heavenly father and how you connect with him. This is why it's super important to allow God to come and to heal those areas of your life to trust Him, to give Him everything. He wants to know you, and He wants to be known. You don't have to fear rejection. He loves you just the way that you are. I think there was a song about that, right? I love you just the way you are. I don't think it was a God song, but hey, it works. So first, intimacy begins with reality. Second, let's keep reading. Look at Isaiah 6 says, one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal that he had taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. He touched my lips with it and said, see, this coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed and your sins are forgiven. Verse 8, then I heard the Lord asking, whom should we send as a messenger to this people? Who will go for us? And I said, here I am, send me. Wow. Kind of a transition, isn't it? From woe is me to send me. So the first, we understand this, intimacy starts with reality. The second part of this is we understand that intimacy then builds with response. How you and I respond to God's presence, how we respond to, as we come into contact with him, how you respond to those things either invites God's presence and intimacy or pushes him away. Your heart either becomes tender or becomes harder. Harder. So Isaiah, in this case, yields to God's plan by his response. He humbles himself before God. I don't know if you know this or not. God loves humility. He loves when we come to him humbly. He loves when you just come and you lay everything at his feet and you say, Lord, whatever you want to do with me, just do it. James 4.10 says it this way, humble yourselves before the Lord and he'll exalt you. So Isaiah humbles himself before God and something kind of odd happens. God responds to him in this humility, but in a kind of weird way. He sends an angel to the altar to take a coal off the altar and to touch his lips. It's kind of weird, isn't it? Can you imagine being Isaiah? Here you are. There's an angel. How many wings does the angel have? Six wings, covering his face, covering his feet, flying with a hot coal coming at your face. Ah! You know, you think Isaiah's having a stressful day? Some of you have stressful days at the Wawa and the Walmart and the Aldi's. This is a stressful day, right? So what was the purpose of the coal in the altar? Well, the coal did, did three things for Isaiah. The first thing it did was this. The coal was extended to purify him and to forgive him. The burning coal represents purification. That's why you burn things. When you, when you purify metal, you heat it to a place to where the impurities rise to the surface, and then you, you take it and you scoop the dross off the top. In the Old Testament, all of the, the rituals dealt with fire and water, and they were purification rituals. This was God's response to Isaiah, who had a yielded, repentant heart to him. He said, I see your heart, and because your heart is bent toward me, I'm going to do what I need to do to purify you so that we can bring, be, be close. What was Isaiah's part? Acknowledgement. You're God, I'm not. He didn't try to reason things. He was faced with the reality of who God was, and he dropped to his knees. And then God extended the rest of the pieces to bring him close. He purified him. Now, this is weird. We struggle with this concept of God forgiving us of our sins and our brokenness. We're used to having to, to jump over things and to, and to jump through hoops and to do all these things to be made right with God. Now, I think some of it's our society. I think some of it is, is some of the religious constraints that we've grown up in. You know, some of you grew up in Catholicism. I grew up in Orthodoxy, and they're very similar. How many of you have ever been in a confessional booth? All right? They're kind of like, uh, like fast food lines, right? You ever been to McDonald's? I like a number one with a supersize of fries and blah 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 and this and this and then they read back. Okay, you, you got a number one and a supersize of fries. Okay, that'll be twenty-two dollars. Pull up to the window, right? Isn't that kind of like confession? I did this, this, this. Okay, you need you need four Hail Marys. You need one of these and then drop something in the box and you should be good. Am I wrong? Hello, because that's clearly in the Word, right? I grew up in a two-guys orthodoxy. Is not that far from it. Now what's funny is this, where do you think we as humans got that concept? That's what religion does. It enacts a toll. It says, this isn't enough. You need more. Remember when Jesus would get upset with the Sadducees and the Pharisees? What would he say? You put heavy burdens on the people. God didn't put heavy, they put heavy burdens on the people. And you see that sometimes. So, What's crazy for us is this. Sometimes we just don't take God at his word. How many of you have screwed up today? How many of you screwed up yesterday? How many are pretty confident you're going to screw up tomorrow? Especially if your team loses. Right? How do you deal with sin in your life, with things that you've screwed up with? 1 John 1.9 gives us a window into this beautiful thing called confession says this, if we confess our sins, he's faithful just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all. Everybody say all. All, all unrighteousness. You know what that, that refers to? That word all is panta in the Greek. That means all. That means your past, now, and it will also take care of the stuff you do in the future as you confess. Confession should be a regular part of who we are as believers. Lord, I'm sorry I screwed this up. Confession is, is, is the companion to conviction. Lord, please forgive me. And you just lay it before God. Let's practice it. Shut your eyes for a second. We're just going to practice it real quick. This is how simple this is. I want you to ask the Holy Spirit now. Say, Holy Spirit, did I say, did I do, did I do something that was out of alignment with your heart in the last few days? And listen to what he tells you. Could be anything. Could have kicked a dog. Could, could have been mean to somebody. Short with people. Maybe things that you just know in your heart that, that God wants you to do. Now take that thing and ask God to forgive you right now. Say, Lord, please forgive me. And mean it from your heart. Humble yourself. When you confess your sins to the Lord, He applies the blood of Christ to those things, and they're no more. Open your eyes. That's it. The Bible says that he takes those things, the iniquities, and he puts them into the sea he calls forgetfulness. He doesn't remember them against you anymore. Stop fishing in the sea called forgetfulness. Stop bringing them back. They don't belong there anymore. Let them go. The Bible talks about this. Paul talks about this. He talks about, I think it's in Galatians where he says, you guys are stuck in the elementary understanding of the forgetfulness. Am I saved? When I saved? Am I say You have to move past that. The blood of Jesus is enough. Make it a part of your daily stuff. Confess. The second thing that the cold did is this. It engaged Isaiah in worship. Why was the altar burning? Well, we see in the Old Testament they would have these altar fires, and they were, they were fires that were meant to do what? To receive the sacrifices. Maybe it was, you know, two turtle doves and a partridge. It could be anything. Could be a goat, could be a bull, could be a lamb, could be whatever it is. They would take it and they would put the sacrifice on the altar and the heat of the altar, the coals of the altar would burn up the sacrifice and that would be a sweet incense into God's nostrils. What do we call that? That's called worship. So when when Isaiah was touched with the lips, he was invited into the worship part of the presence of God in that holy place. Worship for us begins when we're brought into God's presence. And worship helps us to have an intimate understanding of who God is. Some of you who struggle with worship, I can almost guarantee, if you struggle with worship, you, don't, you probably are going to struggle with intimacy with who God is. Some of the songs we sing, you're like, Pastor, I don't understand that. You know, I, I don't understand. You sing about, you know, God loving you and stuff like that and sweet stuff. It's kind of icky and weird, and I don't want to talk about that. You know what that is? Intimacy intimacy. It's worship. So he's brought into worship. Worship is our natural response to his presence. It is. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says this, I appeal to you, therefore brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. We present ourselves. What did did Isaiah do? I'm unclean, Lord, help me. And he lays himself And what, what does God do? Touches him with the cold the altar. He receives him. He presents himself as a sacrifice. That's a spiritual act of worship. And this is what happens when you do that. Verse 2 says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. In his presence is worship, and worship transforms us. That's why one of the things we do here at Trinity, we pursue God's presence. Why? Because in his presence is transformation. That's why we worship the way that we do. That's why we allow the Spirit to do what he wants to do. That's why I teach the way that I teach. His presence brings transformation. It does. Third, the third thing that the cold does was when it touched his lips, it empowered Isaiah for service. Something happens when you encounter the fire of God. It changes us. Isaiah was empowered with this fire. I mean, think about it. Before the coal, it was, woe is me. After the coal, it's, Lord, send me, right? Kind of a difference. And let's just be real. It didn't stop there for Isaiah. After he said yes to God, what did he do? He wrote a book. And we read the book. And in the book, not only is there stuff that he spoke to Israel and stuff in the world and all these things, but in his book is the crux of the revelation of the prophetic words of who the Messiah would be, where he would come from. In short, Isaiah is a pretty big deal. What made him a big deal? Yes, Lord, I say yes to you. God empowered him with his spirit, who he was. Something happens when we encounter God's fire. I I love this. This is Matthew 3.11. These are the words of John the Baptist talking about what he brings and then what Jesus will bring. He says this, I baptize you with water for repentance. And some of us are there. We've been, we're cool with that. That's easy to say. Lord, forgive me. You saved me. Everything's great. Listen to what he says. He goes, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. How many of you know that there's a little bit of a difference there? And in my head, this is the difference. Those that are content to take care of their own things, I'm saved, I'm okay, I'm covered, I'm good, yay. And then there's another step. The step is those that are saved and empowered for a purpose. I want to be this other side. I don't want to be stuck with just squeaking into heaven because of my good stuff. I want to take as many people with me as possible. I was at a... uh, a wedding two weeks ago. Uh, and I saw some family members I've not seen in 30 years. And my heart was full. My heart was also grieved because these are people that I dearly love and some that have no concept or understanding of who God is. That, that crushes me and breaks my heart. Because the only thing that you and I have that's eternal is people. And we settle And we argue over piddly things that have no eternal bearing. We squabble over carpet colors, wall colors. When people around us are numb and isolated from God's love, power, and presence because we are silent. If we don't tell them, how will they hear? If we don't show them, how will they know? You and I are carriers God's spirit, his divine presence, God's hands and feet on the earth. So here's my question for you today. I have two questions. One, first, do you know him? If you don't know him today, you can. And I'm not just speaking to people that walked into the church for the first time. You may have sat in the church for 10, 20, 30, 40 years, and you still may not know him. God's invitation is the same for you today as it was before. Come and know me. Yada. Be still and know that I am God. Do you know Him? If you don't, you can. Don't let the day pass you by. The second is this Do you know Him in a way? And does He know you in a way? And have you allowed yourself to be yielded so much to Him where your response to His call is Send me, Lord. I'm your guy, I'm your girl. Let's get this thing done. Bow your heads ask him. Talk to the Holy Spirit. He speaks to you just like he speaks to me. Do you know him? Lord, have I given you my yes? Thanks for listening to the Trinity Community Church Podcast. We hope this met you exactly where you are. To learn more about us, head to our website at tccde.com or follow us on social media at Trinity Community Church. TCC, a home for you.